You'll find out a little bit. All right, so raise your Bible above your heads. Okay, and repeat after me. This is my Bible. This is my Bible. I am what it, what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I will be taught the Word of God today. I'll boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is attentive. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good job. Have a seat. What you just experienced, how many of you know what you just experienced? A couple of you do. That is used by the Reverend Joel Osteen every single Sunday that he preaches the Word of God. And and he has about 25,000 people sitting in his church a church that used to be a basketball arena in Houston, Texas. So at the beginning of every message, Joel Osteen raises his Bible and says, this is my Bible. And indeed today you said, this is my Bible. Today, dear friends, we're gonna talk about the power of the word of God in your life specifically, and the strength that it can give you and the lives that it can change, the word of God. Now, now I, I need to start this morning. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, so turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll get there in just a moment, okay? Nehemiah chapter, and I'll do my Sarah Pala uh, imitation, page 347, all right? All right, yeah, that's a cheap joke, I know. Page 347 in your pew Bibles, and I'm not sure what your Bible has. So I need to share a story with you in it, uh, okay. So uh, a couple uh, uh, months ago, I shared with you that I was driving down the road from Messiah late one night, it's during the Christmas season. Steve, did you know I was gonna do this? All right, and uh, I'm going down the road, I'm about 100, blo- 100 uh, or so yards from my house, chug, 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 kachiga, kachiga, chiga, I guess that's the way the kids would say it, right? And the car clunks out. And as you remember, I ran out of gas. How embarrassing, just a little bit more and I could have been to my house. I wasn't paying attention. So, so I'm sitting there waving, trying to wave people down, as you recall, and I'm wearing my Packer coat, so nobody's stopping, right? <laughs> they're, they're passing by, and I uh, should wear a lion's coat or, or something. And, uh, and finally, two guys do stop, and they push me uh, into the Methodist church, which is right next to my house, right next to my house. I should have made it. And, uh, and then uh, my wife and my children had come back from, I don't know what they're doing. They heard the hoopla, and, uh, and I had to tell them I ran out of gas to my son. How embarrassing, right? By the way, he's 14 years old today. I ran out of gas. Never do this, son, right? Don't do like dad says, right? Just do, anyway, all that. So anyway, we go and get a gas can from our garage which is usually for my lawnmower. And uh, we fill up the car, go to the gas station, fill up that tank, fill up the little gas can. Thank you. This was not planned, by the way. These guys are pretty funny. And, uh, and yeah, and, and then, uh, well, that ends that. So about two weeks ago, and you remember when Pastor John and Pastor Ed were both in the hospital, and we are so thankful that you're here, brother, and that Pastor Ed is doing well. Praise God, right? Yes. And, uh, and so on that week, I'm extremely busy, and I have to do a funeral on 
uh, Friday here. It's about seven or so in the morning. I'm looking right at this guy right over here. These guys are getting ready to do something. And uh, I'm driving to Freeland. And every Friday morning, I meet with a bunch of guys. And uh, we have breakfast and we check in with one another, right? We speak truth to one another. We pray with one another. We get out the word together. All right. So I'm driving there. I'm on, oh, I forget what road. Anyway, Kachega, Kachega, Kachega. <laughs> I do it again. But see, this time, I knew it was going to be empty. In fact, I looked at it and said, nah, I can make it. Foolish me. All right. So I'm about a half a mile away, and there's no way I'm calling five guys to harass me for the next hour. <laughs> so I sheepishly call my wife, and they have to come back from school. My daughter jumps in the car. She's a student at SVSU, and she was going that way anyway. She brings the gas tank that I filled up from the prior time. One a little bit bigger than this one, right? And, uh, and so I'm on my way, I go to Freeland, I fill up the, uh, the gas in the car, and I fill up another one of these, and I never told those guys a word, but they heard about it later, all right? So I'm driving into town thinking, man, I'm really hungry for breakfast, and I've still only got like two hours left until this funeral, so I'm going to McDonald's, get a, something to eat. And, uh, and I'm driving down Saginaw Road, right around Dow, and there's somebody stranded. Now, it's amazing how people don't help because when I was stranded earlier that morning, I guess God was punishing me, right? Saying, you foolish, foolish boy, fill up your gas, all right? So nobody stopped for me and I'm thinking, Kurt, you need to stop for somebody today. So I see this young woman, she's right there by Dow and she's stalled and go, yeah, but I really don't have time. You ever do that, right? I don't have time, I'd like to help, but I've gotta go. And I did have to go, but I got about a half a block past her and I can't do this. My conscience has this responsibility thing going on. So, so I have to turn around, right? And I turn around and you know that thing, love your neighbor? I had to do that, right? So I pull up beside this young woman. She's about the age of my daughter. And you know, she rolls down her window and I said, hey, hey, can I give any help today, right? And she's like, no. And she's got it kind of head down and she says, no, I just ran out of gas. I've got one right here for you. I had filled up the tank, right? I had filled it completely up and I was ready to help somebody. Well, she said, no, I don't need any help. It looked maybe like her father pulled around and was gonna give her some gas. So why do I share the same thing with you twice? You're wondering, I don't know, Pastor Kurt. It's pretty silly. Why would you do that again and again? Sometimes in our life, our spiritual life becomes a little dry. Perhaps you're there today. Sometimes our relationship with Jesus becomes a little stuck. And we need a little, I'm still carrying this thing. We need a little Philip, don't we? And what we need is the thing that I'm going to share with you that's so important is a foundation in everyday meeting with our Heavenly Father. And you know how he can speak to you? Just open the book. Just open the book, and you might have something to say. This morning, we're going to be challenging you and speaking about this book, and it's more than a book. In fact, as, as we hear Jesus speak, right, to his disciples, he says, my sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. This is the voice of God right here. And the Bible says of itself, and these words are spirit and they are life. Right? That's what they are. And, P and Peter said, What, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal 
life. Right here. Right here. Turn with me to Nehemiah now, okay? Nehemiah, page 347, chapter 8. And we're going to learn how the children of Israel rebuilt their lives, just like we need our lives a little rebuilt and filled up, all right? So we're going to go through this chapter, and it's, it's not that long of a chapter, and there's some amazing details in it. And, and indeed, I pray that it, it uh, finds application in your life. So verse 1, so here, here's the setup, okay? The wall's built, hence the wall's built, right? Okay, the wall is built, and it took 52 days, and it was finished in the sixth month. And now the reading says it's the what? Seventh month. All right. And so the wall is built, but is everything done yet? And so it says there, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their town, so all the people, about 50,000, came back and they were living there with a strong wall to protect them. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. Water gate. There's something there. They told Ezra the scribe to bring about out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. How many hours is that? Six. Six hours he read the Bible to the people as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And what did the people do? And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They listened attentively. The people, if you noticed, are the ones who asked to read the word, to hear the word. Look back at it. Look at it again. The people asked there in verse 1. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Not Nehemiah, but Ezra. Ezra was the man of God. He was the priest. He was the preacher. He said, get that preacher out here. We want to hear the word. I hope you've come here today to hear the word because that's what you're going to hear, all right? Let me hear the word. And so they got ready for the people to hear the word that Ezra would read to the people. Okay, verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood, oh my goodness, can you guys read that? I can't read those words. Medetiah, Shammah, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkiah, Shammah. Wait a minute, Hasham, Hashbah, oh my goodness, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Masham. Say that six times quick, huh? Here's Ezra, you got the picture? It's one of those pulpits like at Frankenmuth, okay? You get the picture now? And there the preacher comes from behind, and he goes up the stairs, and he's preaching way above the people. Kind of scary, huh? That's because there's 50,000 people he's reading the Word of God to. And so then Ezra begins to read the word of God to the people. And what do the people do? Let's read it, verse 5. Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see he was standing above him. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. What do they do? Okay, stand up. Stand up. This is fun, right? It's interactive. All right, I mean, you're getting bored, so you had to stand up. All right. So they all stood up. Okay. They showed reverence for the Word of God. That's why. Because what? The voice of God was speaking to them. And so they stood up in reverence and worship. That's what they did. And then it says, verse 6, what? Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands. Lift your hands and praise the Lord. There's some mighty hands there. 
All right, and then what did they do next? And they responded, amen and amen. Okay, you need some practice. Put your hands back up. Amen and amen. Much better. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, you don't have to do that. Have a seat. But just to get a picture of that, here's the people worshiping. They're on the ground with their faces to the ground. What reaction did the Word of God have to those people? Hands up. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, be this, let it be so. They worshiped. They were so excited to hear that Word of God again like we hear it every Sunday, right? Raising our hands in praise as the men sang. By the way, wasn't that amazing? There is nothing more powerful than a group of men singing praises together. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's a big, one of those things that grabs your heart, doesn't it? It says, holy cow. No. It's amazing. So the people are responding. They respond by worshiping God. They're hearing perhaps they hadn't heard it in a long time. Right? They've been a little dry in their spiritual life, okay? And they heard the word of God. It sounds like a church service, doesn't it, right? People get up, they lift up their hands, they shout amen, and some guy gets up there. It's not, maybe it was the beginning there of the synagogue worship. And then how did the people continue to respond? Come along with me here. All right, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep it going. How did the people respond? In uh, verse 7, the Levites, oh my goodness, you guys should read these names. Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Yamin, Akub, oh boy, Shabbatai, and I'm probably massacring these in Hebrew, boy, Hadiah, Messiah, Kelida, Azariah, Yozabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Oh my goodness, they continued to stand. And they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Now, the book of the law of God, we're talking the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what's being read to the people for six hours. And they stood and they praised God and shouted probably amen and amen again and again and again and again. And beside Ezra is all these guys. Right? And as he's preaching, as he's sharing the word, reading the word, there's like these pastors, like small groups, right? If I came over to you in the middle of the church service, and I'm talking to you and the people in front of you, and I share a little bit more about the word, and we talk about how it applies to our lives. It sounds like a sermon, doesn't it, right? And that's what happened. So we've got these thousands of people gathered together. They're, they're raising their hands. They're shouting amen. They continue to stand. They're down on the floor, up, down. And, and then they respond in this way. And here the word is read, verse 9. Then Nehemiah, the governor, remember Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer, right? The guy who made sure that the king didn't get poisoned is now the governor. He's the guy that helped rebuild the wall. And you remember what the people said when he asked them to rebuild, rebuild the wall? Let us start rebuilding, the people said. 52 days, didn't think it'd be done, it was. And then Nehemiah, the governor, verse 9 Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Kind of like, this is the day the Lord has made, right? This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is are your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11. The Levites come to all the people saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve, 
Then all the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. An interesting reaction to the word of God being read. The people started to weep, to mourn. Perhaps it was because they hadn't heard it for so long. Their lives were so dry and broken. Perhaps it's because they felt great guilt because their God had taken care of them, right? God made the wall happen, right? God took them out of Egypt a long time before that and took care of them and was faithful to them. But what about them? Were they faithful to God? Perhaps they felt convicted. Ever feel convicted in church? I feel convicted in church sometimes. And the people responded. And then the, and then the Levites and Ezra said, you know, no, no, don't mourn today. This is the day that's sacred to the Lord, right? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us celebrate today, right? Every single Sunday when we gather in this place is a day to celebrate because Jesus rose from the dead. He's not here. He's risen. He's alive. And because Jesus is risen, you're alive. That's why we praise him. That's why we sing, right? That's why we died down and worship our king, right? That's why we're here today, to celebrate, right? Amen? Amen. And although our lives might still be broken, the word of God is coming to us today that wants to mend that hurt, that brokenness. Come with me and take a look at the wall for a moment, okay? You see a picture of a a young woman here and she's looking in the mirror. Does she see herself? No, she sees a fat version of herself. Okay, we move along here, and this is a picture of a young woman who's drinking, right? Maybe your life's been impacted by alcohol, okay? When we, we see a young man and a young woman here in a relationship, that's broken. Maybe you're in a relationship that's broken right now. Been a part of them in the past. If we walk over here, right, we, we, this is a cute one, huh? It looks like a dad saying, yeah, yeah, my, there's my kid doing tricks again or something. Maybe your life's a little upside down right now. Okay, and it feels, if you're a mom, it feels like you're standing on your head every single day trying to get it all done. Ever feel like that, mom? Probably. And then we move a little bit further here, and we see, indeed, if you can't see this, there's a man with a broken heart or a child with a broken heart. And perhaps a mother or a wife trying to console the brokenness here. The walls had been rebuilt, right? In 52 days, what an amazing feat. God had made it happen, but the people were still broken. Indeed, we have a wall of brokenness right here, and I know that there's brokenness right here. Right here. Remember we said at a sermon we did just a while ago, we said together, let us start rebuilding. Can you say it with me? Let us start rebuilding today. What did the Israelites rebuild their lives on? This. And remember, it's not just a book. It's just not another book on a shelf. It's the voice of God. There's words for eternal life in here. This is the story of Jesus in here. This is God's plan of salvation in here. And it's for you, right? 
And, and there's words in this book, even beyond our salvation, if you know Jesus already, to live a better life, right? We talk about this better life thing, right? There is, let me say this for you, there's this a little thing, it's B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. You ever hear that before? Raise your hand. Great, all right? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Guys, did you ever go somewhere without having directions? <laughs> uh, of course, the, the guy who runs out of gas is going to go without directions, right? Yeah. Foolish us, right? We think we're going to get there somehow. Directions right here. How to live a blessed life. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, verse 25, verse 25, says this in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then go all the way to verse 33, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must also respect her husband. Are you looking to have a better marriage? Right here in the Word, right? Husbands, love your wives more than yourselves. You're looking for a better relationship with your husband, dear sister. What does it say? Respect your husband. Treat him like the hero of his home because he's not always the hero at the place of work, is he, right? Say you're a good man because he needs to hear it. You're a good dad. You're looking for a better life in your relationship with your spouse? It's right here, right here. Read it, read it. Meditate on it all day long. Pray it. Look a little bit further. What about our families? Chapter 6, right, right below it right there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you that might enjoy long life in the earth. And that's like the last thing kids want to hear. Children, obey your parents, right? Do this, right? My son, do this. He likes to do things, yeah. Clean your room. No, I don't think so, Dad. All right? Do you notice there's a promise there? It says this, right? It may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Of course, if you don't obey your parents, they might take you out early. All right. <laughs> There's a blessing right there. And then men, okay, pay attention to verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate them, authority over them. Treat them like they're dirt. Maybe you've heard this before. Okay. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You heard it before, that's right. Right? Maybe you heard that before. So just read it. Just read it. Ezra brought the word of God to the people. Turn back to, turn back to Nehemiah, okay? Nehemiah, chapter 8. The people heard the word of God read to them. That's the first thing that we need to remember. Read the book, okay? Read the book. And the people, what? They listened attentively, right? They were excited to hear the word of God just as you are this morning. And then what did they do? Verse 13 is where we have Nehemiah, okay? Nehemiah 13, on the second day of the month, the heads of the families, listen up, brothers, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. Verse 14, they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths? Yeah, booths. 
during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make booths, as it is written, verse 16. So the people went out and brought back the branches and built themselves booths, meaning little shacks, and on their own roofs, my goodness, and in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim, and the whole company that returned from the exile built booths and lived in them. Interesting. And from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. What did the people do once they opened the book, right? And they heard the book, they listened to it, they did it. They did what God asked them to do. They took this book right here, right? Instead of just reading it, they moved it from this reality right into their everyday lives. And an interesting thing that they did, though, right? They built little shacks out of palm trees, okay? Olive branches. Why'd they do that? This was the Feast of the Tabernacles, and every year there were three feasts. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And this was to remind all the people how God had redeemed them and taken them out of Israel and how they moved from their houses to these temporary places for 40 years in the desert. And so they were reminded of God's saving work and faithfulness. And so for seven days during this festival, people lived in these little huts, okay? And they didn't do much work. They ate a lot, okay? They heard the word of God, as you read, and they celebrated and the men brought offerings to the Lord of what they could give for, in behalf of their family. And so they celebrated. But the thing that you and I need to catch here is that they obeyed. Open the book. Hear the voice of God. Listen. And they obeyed. Basic, basic instructions for leaving earth. Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 for your marriage, for your relationship with your children right there. Our lives might need rebuilding, but it starts on the solid rock of God's Word today. Today. And here's the other thing you need to see. Why would you do that anyway? Why, why would I have devotions with my family? Meaning we sit around the table, we read the book, right? And we have prayer. Why would I do that? Why, why would I pray with my wife, right? Why would I do that? Why would my wife and I grab this Bible and read it together and ask about God's will for our life? Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because God wants to bless you and me. The better life's right here in the Word. Look a little further, though. This, this is a word that we don't want to keep to ourselves. Nehemiah, once again, we're going to go back to verse 15. What did the people do once they brought it from God's house, right, to their house? What did they do next? And that they should proclaim this word, verse 15, and spread it throughout their towns in Jerusalem. That's what the people did. When you've been given a gift, you've been given a gift. You need to live by it and then to share it. It was a couple of years ago, actually it's more than a couple of years ago, that uh, I was in my vicarage year, and being your internship year, uh, and then you go back to the seminary for a year, and then I got the call to Messiah, right, you know, somewhere here, yeah. And, uh, and my brother came to my house, and perhaps you've heard this story before, but it fits the occasion today. My brother comes, my younger brother comes to the house, and uh, he's in the National Guard, and he's going to Texas to receive his fire training, and he's a fireman now, we're very thankful for that. And he's been safe so far. 
And, uh, and he stays at our house because he's on his way to Texas. And uh, that night, my wife gets this really strong feeling. She gets this feeling she's supposed to take a Bible and give it to my brother. Now, as you know, it's hard to share the Word of God with your family sometimes, isn't it? In fact, sometimes that's the hardest thing because you don't want them to not pay attention to you and to be your family any longer. But she had this burning sensation, so we only had one Bible in the house. Now, today, I would have just given him the Bible. I don't know what I was thinking, right? But we went, had her go back to the church where, where I was serving at for my vicarage and brought the Bible home. And uh, my wife's like, I'm not going to do it. You do it. Okay, so I sneak into my brother's room, and he's got his big military bag, right? Big duffel bag for you guys who've been in the service. And, and, uh, and I sneak it to the very bottom of the bag, and I put it right there. Now, my brother hadn't been walking very closely with Jesus for a while, right? He went to a Lutheran grade school and a high school and went to church with us. Parents trained up the child the way he should go when he's old and not depart from it. God planted that Bible there. And indeed, just a couple of months later, Josh and his family that then joined him in his training were at a church, at a faith family, growing in the relationship with Jesus Christ, and they still are today. Praise God. Okay. All right. These words are spirit and they are life. Dear brother and brothers that went to the men's retreat, Sometimes it's hard to be the spiritual leader of your family, isn't it? To stand up and to be a man of God and to do the right thing, but it starts on the very foundation of God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house, labor is in vain. And you might say, you know what, I can't do that, pastor. I can't pick up the Bible and read it and then pray with my children. And I'm going to say, brother, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And if you haven't done it in a while, your kids are getting older, it's time to start it up again with your grandchildren. Read it. Simply pray. And dear brother or sister, if you're not with a family like that, I challenge each and every person here today to do what Jesus, the Savior of the world, did his very self. What did he do? All the time he went alone amidst all the busyness and the things of his life and his solitude, and he prayed and he stayed with his heavenly Father. God desires to rebuild your lives, my life, and it's on his very word, a word that will strengthen you, a word that will give you courage, a word that always forgives, right? We're forgiven even though the times we mess up, a word that always shares the cross of Jesus Christ that gives hope. Don't let it go this time, okay? If the tank's empty, time to fill it up, don't you think? Don't you think? 15 minutes a day. Just 15 minutes a day is what I'm challenging with. Read the Word. Pray. And as we said earlier in Joel Osteen's little thing, you'll never be the same. In Jesus' name.